Hey, welcome to week three of The Name. We have been in a series and studying Exodus chapter 34, and here's the whole premise. We are trying to figure out what is God like. And in order to figure out what is God like, what He is like, we feel like you have to go back to the source, and we go to Exodus 34, because in Exodus 34, God self-discloses. He says, Moses, this is who I am. And he says, I'm Yahweh, Yahweh, a God of compassion and graciousness, slow to anger, full of steadfast love, forgiving iniquity. And so we're going to read that here in just a moment. But I've heard from some of you in this series, and you've told me uh, that you're learning some things that you previously did not know. So I love that. And uh, can I be honest with you? I am learning things I previously did not know. Uh, you can, here's one thing you can never say about the Bible. You can never say, oh yeah, I read that one time. I got it. I know it. Uh, just reading through the Bible one time or just reading through the Bible casually, uh, I promise you, you won't know all there is to know because the Bible is so dense. It's filled with so many wonderful things. And the Bible was not written for you to just read it one time. And then forget about it. No, the Bible is a book that is written for a lifetime of study, a lifetime of meditation, a lifetime of searching out what God has put in there for us. So as we begin today's message, I want to maybe continue and just share a cool factoid with you, something maybe you previously have not known. We know that in this Exodus 34 passage that God tells us his name. Yahweh is his name. Yahweh, Yahweh is the name of the Lord. But maybe you've heard God's name another way. Maybe you've heard this name before, Jehovah. Okay, if you've been around church for a while, you've heard this song, this this name, Jehovah. Okay, we sing it in some of our songs, like we talk about Jehovah Nisi, which means God is my victory. Jehovah Jireh, God is my provider. Jehovah Shalom, God is my peace. And, you know, if God's name is Yahweh, why are we saying Jehovah? And the reason for that, uh, and I want to tell you, the name Jehovah, it's sometimes in our English translations, And it's actually, it's a made-up name for God. Like, we made that up, okay? It wasn't how God revealed himself. We made it up. And it started somewhere around the Middle Ages. And uh, so, and I want to say, it's not wrong to say Jehovah. I'm going to give you the reason why some translations say Jehovah, why we sing about Jehovah. Uh, And it's this. Okay, so God's name that he reveals, Yahweh, is called the Tetragrammaton. Okay, say that with me. Tetragrammaton. Tetra means four. Okay, in Hebrew there are there were no vowels. Okay, only consonants. And Yahweh's name has four consonants. For us, it would look like this: Y H W H. Four letters. The Tetragrammaton. Yahweh. Okay, but this name Yahweh was so holy to the Jews, over time, they quit saying it out loud. They thought it was irreverent. They didn't want to take the Lord's name in vain. And so oftentimes when we read the scriptures, even in our English translations, it doesn't say Yahweh. It'll say Lord in all capital letters, L-O-R-D. And in our Bibles, the translators want you to know that Lord is not actually a translation. It's a substitute word. The actual word in Hebrew is Yahweh, and it's the Tetragrammaton, but instead they have substituted the word Lord, okay? 
In Hebrew, do you know what the word for Lord is? It's the word Adonai. Maybe you've heard this before. Adonai. You've heard that Hebrew term before. Okay, so this is where Jehovah comes from. Hang with me now. I'm trying to trying to learn you something. Just a little interesting factoid. Okay, what scholars, what uh, in the Masoretic text, what they did is they took the Tetragrammaton. They took Yahweh, W-H-W-H, and they took the vowels of the word Adonai, A-O-A, and they put them together, okay? So they took Adonai and uh, Yahweh, and they made it into a totally new word, okay? So if you take Y-H-W-H and you add A-O-A, what you get is Yahowah, okay? But in that language, Y sometimes sound like J's, H's sometimes sound like, or W sometimes sound like V's, and what you get is Jehovah, okay? So now, when you see the word Jehovah, here's what you have. You have a mix-up of Yahweh and Adonai, and don't think that's wrong or we shouldn't do that or say that. Listen, it was for a good reason that they did this. What they were doing was indicating to the reader that you should read the word Lord or God instead of accidentally mispronouncing the holy sacred name of God, Yahweh. Okay, so we went on that long journey, just teaching you something maybe you didn't know. If you see the word Jehovah, know that it, we made it up <laughs> so we didn't accidentally mispronounce Yahweh's name. Okay, so we've been in Exodus 34, uh, verses 5 through 8. What does God say about himself? What is he like? Yeah, Exodus 34, 5 through 8, it says, The Lord descended in the cloud. And stood with him, that's Moses, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, which is Yahweh, Yahweh, a God, merciful and gracious. We talked about that last week. Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and he worshiped. Okay, last week we talked about compassionate and gracious. Today we're going to focus on this thought right here. Yahweh is slow to anger. Yahweh is slow to anger. Okay, so more than likely, if you're listening to me today, there's two different types of people, and the emphasis needs to fall in one or two areas for you. If you're, there's some of us that are watching today, and you need to know that God is slow to anger, that God's not walking around just ticked off all the time, ready to zap you and hit you over the head with a hammer, but God has a long fuse, okay? There's some of you that need to focus on the slow part. Now, there's others of us that need to focus on the anger part because some of us think that God never gets mad or God never has anger or how could a good God ever get angry? And you need to know that the Bible talks about God's anger or God's wrath. Okay, let's, let's start with the people who need to hear that God's anger, he's slow to anger. So when it says God is slow to anger, here's another factoid. It says God is a wreck, a pain. 
in Hebrew is a very descriptive language. And I learned this this week. I think it's really cool. It's actually a word picture. If you were to translate it literally, it would say God has long nostrils. <laughs> That's what that means. Literally, that God has a big nose. God has a long nose. And, uh, and think about it, though. When you get mad, what happens? Your nostrils flare. Anybody out there, when you get mad, one of the first places you can see it is in your nostril or maybe, you know, your spouse. Your spouse can tell you when you get mad. They know they can see it on your face. But the nostrils for the Hebrews, the nose is the seat of anger. And, and there's really good news here. Some of you need to hear this. God has a long nose. God has a long nostril. God doesn't have a short fuse. What does this mean? That God's anger prolongs itself. It allows for people to repent before punishment comes. If you look at the descriptions around anger, I mean, think about this for a minute. Anger is sandwiched between mercy and grace on one side and a steadfast, faithful love on the other. Think about that. When God describes himself, when Yahweh says, this is who I am, he leads with compassion and graciousness, and he ends with his unfailing love. But sandwiched between mercy and grace and love is this thing called anger, okay? He does get angry, but anger is not who he is. He is love, but sometimes can get angry. I like how J.W. Simpson says it. He says it like this, in the Bible... God's wrath or his anger is not pictured as a constant without variation. The revelation that God's wrath in the final analysis is that it fars, is far outweighed by his love and does not wait for the New Testament, okay? But it is already a fundamental part of the Old Testament message. Remember, Yahweh means I am who I am. It means I'm constant. He is who he is at all times. And you know who Yahweh is? One of his attributes is that he is slow to anger. He will always be slow to anger. And his grace and his mercy far outweigh his anger. I like how King David puts it because King David had experienced both God's mercy and his grace. But you know what? King David also experienced God's anger. There were times David faced severe consequences for his actions. But I love how David puts it, reflecting on the nature of God, even coming out of a time where he just faced consequences from God and faced God's anger. Listen to what he says. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints. Give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. You see, David knew what it was like to be disciplined by the Lord. He knew what it was like to face sickness or calamity, even death in his family because of his own sin against God. But notice in, for David, when he reflects on it, the goodness of God far outweighs his anger. So yes, God can get angry, but you need to know God's fuse is a lot longer and he's a lot more patient than you think. God is not a tyrant. You're not in a tightrope act with God in this relationship where if you falter one way or another that God's just done with you and he's ready to just wipe you off the face of the map. No, Psalm 37 says, The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their life. Though they stumble, though they mess up, they will never fall for the Lord holds them by the hand. Okay. 
He's slow to anger. That's good news. Some of us are okay with slow to anger. Okay, but some of us think God never gets angry. <laughs> or even worse, we think for God to get angry is somehow wrong. You, and you just say, well, I just can't imagine a God who would get angry. Well, read the Bible. Look at the scriptures. God is slow to anger, but yes, he does get angry. But that, you know, that doesn't mean he never gets angry. And you're just not reading the Bible close enough if you realize that, okay? And you're not really reading the gospel accounts faithfully if you think Jesus himself never gets angry, right? Jesus is Mr. Love. Jesus is love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is judge nobody. Uh, you can't judge anybody. But I like how Pastor Mark Comer says, he says, Jesus is not Mr. Rogers with the beard, okay? Go back and read your New Testament. Jesus, the love guy, the one who tells... Hey, don't judge anybody. Guess who talks about judgment and the wrath of God? A lot. Go back and read Matthew. Jesus does. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Go read the book of Revelation. There's a whole thing in there about the wrath of the Lamb. Yeah, the sweet little precious Lamb of Jesus. Guess what? The Lamb has some wrath. And it is poured out on the earth. Okay. So if you remember last week, you remember we talked about the prophet Jonah. Okay. And the prophet Jonah was called to go and to preach to the Ninevites. Remember the Ninevites, they were really wicked people. There was a lot of injustice going on in Nineveh. And Yahweh was ready to bring judgment on Nineveh unless they repented. So Jonah, after he preaches there, the Ninevites respond correctly. They respond and they repent. They changed their wicked ways. And the Bible says this about God. Because the Ninevites changed, God changed his mind about what he was going to do to them. That's grace. That's mercy. That's long-suffering. God relents. And in chapter 4 tells us why God relents. It's because he's a God full of compassion and grace, slow to anger. Well, fast forward 150 years from that moment. Nineveh has fallen back into how they used to do things. Now Yahweh has had enough of it. They had known Yahweh in his compassion, but now they're about to know him in his anger. Nahum is, is, is a prophet who prophesies 150 years after Jonah. And this is what he says to Nineveh. He says, an oracle concerning Nineveh. The book of the vision of Nahum of Elkosh. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The, okay, right here. Where have you heard this before? The Lord is slow to anger, but he's also great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind and storm and the clouds, the dust are his feet. Okay. Yahweh's had enough. Yahweh said, I gave, I, I gave you a chance to repent. And now you've gone back to your old ways. And you know what? This might make many modern minds uncomfortable. They don't want a God that, that gets mad. They want a God that never gets angry. And that's not who God is. It's not true. God does get angry. But God's not just flying off the handle here. This is not just a flare up of God's emotions. No, this has been building and building for 150 years. That's a long time, y'all. That's how gracious and long-suffering God is. They've been very wicked people, 
God gives them 150 years, but now time is up. Enough is enough. God gave them space and time to repent, but they did not. Listen, God will give you space to repent. He will give you space for grace and compassion. But when you ignore warning after warning after warning, watch out. Because you never know. You never know when your space is up. You don't know when your time is up. You don't know when God's grace, the space for it, has run out. Makes me think of Revelation chapter 2. This is New Testament. And by the way, this is Jesus talking to one of his churches. Okay? This is Jesus, the love guy. (laughs) All right? Listen to what Jesus says to a church called Thyatira. He says, I know your works, your love and your faith and your service and your patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality, to eat the food sacrificed to idols. Listen to what Jesus says. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. Okay, there is both grace and compassion and anger and wrath, all wrapped up here in one passage of Scripture. Okay, the grace and compassion is that Jesus even gives this woman, Jezebel, a chance to repent. Now, if you've been around church long enough, you hear people talk about, oh, she's a Jezebel, that woman over there is a Jezebel, and we're always putting down Jezebel. And But here Jesus is offering a Jezebel an opportunity to repent. Yeah, she's wicked. Yeah, she's seducing people, but I'm giving her time. I'm giving her space, a space for grace. But Jesus says, now enough is enough. The space is up. The time is over. I gave her a chance. She doesn't want to repent. So now I'm coming with my wrath. Now I'm coming with my anger. Listen to me. Do not mistake God giving you space to repent as his approval for what you're doing. The space is a pause. It's a chance for you to appeal to his compassion and mercy. But when the time is up, The time is up. Don't mistake God's grace as an opportunity for you to continue in sin. It's not. It's actually an opportunity for you to repent and change your ways because he's full of grace. So why why is it necessary? Why Why can't he just be Yahweh, Yahweh, full of grace and mercy and abounding in steadfast love? Why does God have to have this angry part? Why is anger even necessary for God? Maybe that troubles you. Maybe you just can't believe in a God who gets angry. But you know what? What do you want? You want some tepid teddy bear in the sky? It's just a fluffy and lovey teddy bear that you can love and hug on? Look, teddy bears are great, but they can't save you from a real bear. (laughs) We have real problems. We have real enemies. We have real things that we face, and we need a God who's strong enough to take care of those issues. We need a God strong. We don't need a safe Teddy bear God, we need a God who can work in power. It reminds me of this quote from C.S. Lewis, the lion, the witch in the wardrobe, the children's book. Remember, in the book, the lion represents Jesus. It represents Yahweh. And the kids are talking about the coming of the lion with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. And, oh, said Susan, 
I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall rather feel nervous about meeting a lion. To which Mr. Beaver says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Can I tell you, Yahweh is not some safe teddy bear in the sky. Yahweh is the king. Yahweh is the ruler, and he has a will, and anybody who gets, tries to impede the will of the king will face the anger of the king. Let me tell you why you crave a God that actually does get angry. There's something on the inside of you. There's something on the inside of all of us. We all celebrate when a bad guy gets what's coming to him. You watch any movie and you see some gnarly bad guy, watch any James Bond movie and see some bad guy doing wicked evil things. What happens when James Bond finally takes out the enemy? What do you do? You celebrate. You get excited about it. Why? Because justice has taken place and you crave justice. Oh, I was thinking about why, like why we feel so good when justice is served. I actually got to thinking about country, uh, country music song. I've been quoting a lot of country music lately in my messages. Just hang with me. But, you know, the song, this is why girls, when you're riding down the road and Carrie Underwood before he cheats, come on, this is why you turn it all the way up and you sing it out loud and there's just a satisfying feeling about it. Because when she sings, I dug my key into the side of his pretty little souped up four-wheel drive. Carved my name into his leather seats. I took a Louisville slugger to both headlights, slashed a hole in all four tires. Maybe next time he'll think before he cheats. When the cheater gets what's coming to him, when a wrong is made right, we celebrate. It feels good. We're like, yeah, man, he deserves it. A cheater, you know, and you just, it make there's something, there's justice that is served. And God is a God of justice. He is going to make everything wrong right. Therefore, he must get angry. There must be a wrath side to God. John Mark Comer, in his book, uh, he shares a unique definition of the wrath of God. And I want to share it with you because I think it's right. It says, God's wrath is his steady, unrelenting, unremitting, uncompromising antagonism to evil in all its forms and manifestations. Why should God get angry? Because God is good and he therefore cannot be apathetic to the evils in the world. God can't be apathetic to human sex trafficking. God can't be apathetic towards racism. God can't be apathetic towards child prostitution, towards murder, towards slander. You name it. These things make Yahweh angry. We say, well, God is a God of love. How can God get angry? You can't have love without anger. Because if you love something or if you truly love someone, then that person that you love, if they're being threatened, if they're in danger of harm, you will naturally get angry at whatever is threatening or putting the day in danger, the object of your affection. Love requires anger. God gets angry. If something that he loves is being harmed, he will get angry. In the Old Testament, we see Yahweh first getting angry with Moses when Moses tries to back out from being the deliverer for Israel. 
Then we see his anger flare up again, and it's unleashed on the Egyptians and their gods and Pharaoh for trying to stop the deliverance of the children of Israel. You see, God loves Israel. They're the object of his affection. God wants to deliver Israel. Whatever impedes his progress will face his fury. Why? Because he loves Israel. You know what impedes progress in our lives and keeps us from flourishing and keeps our community from flourishing? Sin. S-I-N, sin. We have to stop coddling our sin and acting like it's just a part of who we are. We need to get angry at our own sin like God gets angry at it. We need to hate it. Please don't identify with your sin. Please don't make friends with your sin and act like it's just your lot in life and God's okay with it. He is not. You know what makes God angry? Sin. Wickedness. Why? Because it hurts those he loves and destroys his good creation. God's anger is justified because he loves so deeply. And I want you to know God's anger is not like our anger. God's anger is a holy anger, a holy wrath. How is his anger different from our own human anger. Uh, Gary Herion in the Anchor Dictionary Bible has such a great article on this. He talks about the difference between human anger, which he calls patho, pa- passion, and then uh, God's anger, which he calls pathos. Okay? Our anger as human flares up in an instant, and he calls this passion. This is what he says. Passion can be understood as an emotional convulsion which makes it impossible to exercise free consideration of principles and the determination of conduct according with them. Although the Old Testament discusses human anger much less frequently than divine wrath, it tends to portray human anger as much as a loss of self-control. Our anger is one that loses control. I know you've never lost control of your temper all of a sudden. I know no one cuts you off and you've never gone off in a rage. But our anger is one where we, it, it's like we lose all control in an instant. And uh, this is funny. Nothing will make you more angry than a lawnmower that won't crank in the summer, okay? And uh, I had this video of my brother, and I told him I was going to play it. He said it was okay, but this is so funny. The ring doorbell caught him, okay? This is him trying to crank that lawnmower, him trying to crank the weed eater, and it doesn't. And you can see what happens right here. So <laughs> it's so funny. He throws the weed eater across the yard. The ring doorbell caught him. I think it's hilarious. That right there, that's passion. Okay. And he wanted me to let you know after you saw it, he said he had a choice. He was either going to say a cuss word or he was going to throw the weed eater. So he opted for just throwing the weed eater across the yard. I told him if it was me, I probably would have done both. <laughs> and, uh, and to which he replied, Briggs and Stratton is going to cause a lot of people to go to hell. All right. So our anger can sometimes, we just fly off the handle, man. We just, it just at a moment it can flare up. We're angry and it just flies off the ha- handle. But God's anger is different. God's anger is pathos. Gary Herion says this, on the other hand, pathos is an act formed with care and intention, the result of determination and decision. It's not a fever of the mind that disregards standards of justice and culminates in irrational and irresponsible action. It is intrinsically linked to ethos and approximates that 
what we mean by righteous indignation. The wrath of God tends to be portrayed in this way in the Old Testament, especially in the prophet. Prophets. It seems not to be an essential attribute or fundamental characteristic of Yahweh's persona, but an expression of his will. It's a reaction to human history, an attitude called forth by human misconduct. So let me catch what, let me catch you up here. Our passion is sometimes involuntary. We lose control and it's, you know, that's who we are. But when God gets angry, God's anger is not out of control. God's anger is not off the cuff. No, he's slow to anger. That means it builds and it builds and it builds and it builds to a point. God's anger is intentional and it occurs at the right time. It's not erratic, but it's on purpose. And I think the perfect example we see is Jesus in the New Testament. Now, when do we see Jesus get angry in the New Testament? Everybody knows the story. It's actually in all four gospels, which is rare for an event to be recorded in all four gospels. And it's when Jesus turns tables. He goes into the temple and he turns the tables, okay? And, and, and you know what I love about John's gospel, it recounts, it says that Jesus makes a whip out of leather and he goes in there and he whips people and he gets them out of the temple. You remember, he goes in there, they're selling doves and calves and they're in the courtyard of the temple and they're selling and Jesus whips them and sends them out and he says, my father's house is to be a house of prayer for the nations, but you've turned it into a marketplace. You've turned it into a den of robbers and he whips them and kicks them all out of the courtyard and then he begins to teach the people that are there. Now listen, don't think for a second that Jesus is just in the temple one day and Jesus is just having a bad day. He's having a weak moment and he just flies off the handle all, all of a sudden and just, just loses it on all the people. No, that's not it in the slightest. This was actually premeditated. This is a well thought out moment. Jesus is saying enough is enough and this has to stop. Listen, this wasn't the first time Jesus had been to the temple. This isn't the first time he's seen the money changers in the temple. In his lifetime, Jesus has been to the temple possibly over a hundred times. I mean, he's been to the temple a lot. Why does he get so angry here? Because he gets so angry at the right moment, at the right time. And you know the reason for Jesus's anger here? Because Jesus loves the nation, the nations. Jesus loves all people and he desires that all people can worship Yahweh, the place that Jesus cleans out is the outer courtyard. This is also known as the courtyard of the Gentiles. Hang with me here because this is important. The area that is closest that non-Jewish people can get to the temple is this area, the Gentile courtyard, because only Jews are allowed in the main courtyard and then only priests the special lineage of Jewish people are allowed in the inner courts. And then the high priest is only allowed in the Holy of Holies. So this area that Jesus cleans out, it's where the Gentiles, it's the closest they can get to the temple of God. And it's where Gentiles were supposed to come and pray and worship. But what has happened? What did the priesthood do? The priesthood took the Gentile court and turned it into a place of business. 
They replaced spiritual worship in the courtyard and they turned it into a marketplace. They brought all the animals and the money changers. The Gentiles are supposed to have that space so they can get close to Yahweh and they can pray and seek Yahweh. But instead, you know, it's really hard to worship God when you're stepping in animal poop. You know what I'm saying? They, they have ruined the courtyard. And that's why Jesus says, my, my house is a house of prayer for the nations, for the Gentiles, for the ethnos. And you've turned this, you've impeded them from coming close to Yahweh. And he gets mad because his house is supposed to be a place where all people can come and draw near to Yahweh. But they have impeded the progress and the will of God. And this makes Jesus angry. And his anger is deliberate. And it crescendos at the right time to achieve its purpose. It's a prophetic image of the pending judgment that is coming to that temple and the new thing that Yahweh is doing in the earth through the temple of Jesus's body. God, Jesus gets angry. Yahweh, he can get angry when you are impeding his will or hurting something he loves. It's, it brings the anger. Now I want to close today. I want to give you four aspects of the wrath of God. And I get these from uh, John Mark Comer from his book, which has been very helpful to me studying over the past few weeks. There are four aspects to God's wrath. God's wrath is both present and future. And God's wrath is both passive and active. The first one, let's talk about the, very briefly, the present wrath of Yahweh. So sometimes Yahweh deals with evil now. There are times when God steps in and deals with evil in our present day. You know, we see this in the Bible when God steps in and deals with Sodom and Gomorrah. We see this in the Bible when God steps in in Noah's day. And he's, he's like, people are so wicked and there's so much evil in the earth that he's like, I'm sorry I ever made these people. And he destroys the earth except for Noah and his family. God steps in history and his wrath is revealed from heaven. We even see it in our day when evil regimes are dealt with and they're brought down. Okay, it's now. It's not put off into the future, but it's dealt with in history. That's the present wrath of Yahweh. But there's also a future wrath of Yahweh. The Bible often talks about a day that is called the day of the Lord, the Yom of Yahweh, the day of the Lord. There is a time coming when God will deal evil and wickedness a final blow. Listen to me. There is a final judgment day coming. It's coming, y'all. And, 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 and it really could be any day now. The day of the Lord could be any day now. The Lord's been holding off for a long time. He certainly has been slow to anger and compassionate. But there is a final blow that God will deal evil and wickedness in the earth. And you say, well, some of us think, well, why God hasn't he already done it? Or why hasn't God, maybe there's certain people you think, why hasn't God dealt with that person yet? Why hasn't he wiped them off the face of the map? And 2 Peter 3, 9 tells us, says the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but he's actually patient. He's long nostriled towards you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. 
And the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Listen, God is slow to anger and he's being patient. He's giving people a chance to repent of their wicked deeds. He's giving people a chance to be on the right side of judgment. God must He's holy. He's a just God. He must deal with wickedness and evil. He must set everything that's wrong right. But, and he made a way of salvation for us. There is salvation through the blood of Jesus today. Listen, the wickedness and evil in me can be cleansed and washed away so that there's nothing left to judge. We can be made right with God through the blood of Jesus. Look what Romans 5, 9 says this. Since therefore we now have been justified through his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. There is salvation. One of the things you're saved from Why is it so great to be saved? One of the things you're saved from is from the wrath of God. Judgment day don't have to be a bad day for you. Judgment day can be a good day because God sets the world right and you're in right standing with him. Okay, two more. God's wrath is active. What does that mean? It means there are times by through his own hand, God directly deals with sin. There's a story in the Old Testament where a guy named Uzzah reaches out and touches the Ark of the Covenant, which is a direct violation. You should not do that. And Yahweh's anger burns against him and he is killed. In the New Testament, there's a king, King Herod, who accepts worship from men as if he's God. And it says the angel of the Lord struck him and he dies. Now, this is not common. These moments seem to be few and far between in the Bible, but they do happen. God's wrath is active. But let me end today with the most common and probably the most frightening form of God's wrath. And that's his passive wrath, his passive anger. This is when God doesn't directly strike you, but when God allows you to have what you want. This is when God steps away from your life. This is when God is no longer warning you, but now God has become silent. Listen, if you ignore God's warnings long enough, again, we have to stress it. God is, he is long suffering. Okay, read the Old Testament and you will see that prophet after prophet warns Israel. They come, prophet after prophet comes and they tell Israel, please change your ways. Please turn back to God. But they wouldn't listen. God gives them chance after chance after chance after chance. But you want to know what Yahweh eventually does? He steps back. He allows them to have what they want. You don't want me, Israel? Okay, I'm stepping back from you, Israel. He leaves them to their own desires, their own wants, their own demise. He removes his hand of protection off of Israel. And you know what happens? Here comes the Assyrians. Here comes the Babylonians and these nations destroy Israel, destroy the temple. Here come the Romans. God's passive wrath is when he steps back and he gives you what you want. Read Romans chapter one. Listen, Romans 124 says, therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their heart to impurity. Romans 1.26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. 
Romans 1.28, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. God's passive wrath is when he finally just gives you what you want. He has stood in the pathway. He has warned you. He has told you, stop doing this. Stop it. Stop talking to that person. Stop listening to that. Stop doing that. Stop going to that place. And you do it and you do it and you do it. And, 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 and finally God just steps away and now he's silent. God's judgment is when he lets you have what you want. He gives you your desires. Oh, and that's a scary place. You know, it's a scary place to be when the sin that used to bother you no longer bothers you. Your heart is cold and you don't even feel bad about it anymore. That's a scary place to be. You're stepping into the wrath, passive wrath of God when he gives you over to what you want and what you want is ultimately going to destroy your life. Please listen to me today. Sometimes people think God's bringing his judgment when you get caught doing something wrong. But when you get caught, that's not God's judgment. That's God's mercy. God's having mercy on you when you get caught. You want to know what's judgment is when he just lets you have what you want. When you keep doing that thing and you think nobody knows that, that's judgment. Because he's given you over to something that's going to destroy your life. Please listen to me today. God loves you. He's long-suffering. He will warn you and warn you and warn you and warn you and warn you. But there comes a time when he says enough is enough. There comes a time to turn the tables over. There comes a time where he may step back and let you have what you want. That is the scariest place to be in. When you no longer hear the warnings. It's like, it reminds me of Samson. Time after time, Samson in the Old Testament, he just gets closer and closer to the edge. And finally, one day he goes too far. And the Bible says Samson rouses himself and he thinks, I'll shake myself loose of these chains that have me bound. But he can't do it. And it says the spirit left him and he didn't even know it. The spirit had left him and now he's bound and he can't get himself out of it. Whew. Scary place to be. But God is full of grace and mercy and compassion. Maybe you're being warned today. Maybe you're being convicted today. That's, that's God's goodness. That's His grace. Respond to that. Maybe you're in a place where your, your heart is cold. Listen to me. Come back to God. Let Him warm that cold heart of yours. Let Him thaw it out. Come back to His love. Let Him have mercy and grace on you. Let Him have compassion on you once again. God is full of compassion and grace and mercy and steadfast love. But because he loves so much, he also will get angry when what he loves is being threatened. Father, I pray for your people today. I pray, God, that those listening to me will take the warning seriously, God. You warn us. Lord, there is nothing we can hide from you. There's nothing we can get away with. Eventually, all will be exposed in one way or another. So God, I ask today that we would heed your voice. You are a God full of grace and compassion and mercy. There is a way of escape. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross that saves us from the wrath that is to come on the wickedness and evil in this world. I pray we would walk in the light while the light of day is with us. Lord, I pray it in Jesus' mighty name.
Amen. Amen. Well, we hope to see you soon, church. Hope to see you at 9 or 11 live or always right here, 10 o'clock, virtual church. We'll see you soon. That video...